Hey, if you're a big fan of short sermons, would you just say amen this morning? No, well, hey, I'm going to preach for an hour then. Well, if you are a fan, there's two of you in the room who are, and many of you uh, are as well. And I know that because sometimes I see you sleeping when I'm preaching, all right? Uh, every Sunday, uh, or every year at Palm Sunday, we kind of uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper. We have an extended time of worship, and then I just kind of preach an abbreviated sermon, uh, more of a devotion to prepare our hearts uh, to come to the Lord's table. And uh, in doing so, many times in the past, what I'll do is uh, in sharing the devotion is sharing something with you from my devotional life that had an impact on me uh, as well. And so I want to do that today from Galatians chapter 2. Uh, many of you are aware that Paul Tripp uh, is one of the favorite authors of our pastors and staff, and many people here at church use his uh, daily devotional, New Morning Mercies. And if you've yet to get a copy of that, I cannot encourage you enough to pick up a copy of that. Almost everybody on our staff team uses that and has been now for several years. If you've been walking through that, then you would have walked through a couple Sundays ago on March the 27th, uh, just an incredible devotion out of Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And this verse uh, is so theologically rich that I want to share some of the truths uh, that he shared in that devotion with those of you who, maybe that's not a part of your devotional rhythm, and remind you of those truths for those of you who, like me, it is a part of your devotional rhythms. So Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, and I want to do something a little different this morning. I want us to read it together out loud, okay? So I think it's going to be up on the screens. And so Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 uh, says this. It's going to be on the screen. Look how good I look, though. Amen? Hey, I got a little Palm Sunday drip on. Amen? Well, I'm going to read Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, and I don't care if you read or not because I like it, all right? Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And this is an incredibly powerful verse. And the reason I love this verse is because it captures who I am, in fact, as a child of God and describes everything that I've been given through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so how Paul Tripp broke down the verse, he says there's three truths here to center our hearts around, and one of them is this. It is a statement of redemptive historical fact. I have been crucified with Christ. The perfect tense of the verb, have been crucified, points to a permanent condition we have in relationship uh, to the law. And so the whole point of the law was to point us to Jesus Christ and to hold up the law as a mirror and say, hey, here's a perfect standard of righteousness and no one can meet it. And so therefore, the law was meant, the scripture says, to serve as a tutor or a teacher to point us to Jesus Christ. And so what he's saying there is, in relation to the law, we remain dead and fully punished. And since that's true, the law can no longer condemn us. Why? Because we've been crucified with Christ. And when his death satisfied the demands of the law, guess what? We've been crucified with him. Christ absorbed all the penalty and we received a pardon in return. Praise God. Listen how one commentator put it. He said, if a man is convicted of a capital crime and is put to death, the law obviously has no more claim on him. He's paid his debt to society. Therefore, even if he were to rise from the dead, he would still be guiltless before the law, which would have no claim on his new life. So it is 
with a believer who dies in Christ and rises to new life. Listen to this. He is free forever from any claim of the law on him. The believer, through Christ, paid the law's demand when he died in Christ. And at the end of his life, physical death is no punishment, only a release to glory provided in his union with Christ. How great is that? That I'm dead to the law and all of its penalty, and if I'm raised to new life in Jesus Christ, guess what? I've been set free from the law. So let's make this practical. On one hand, uh, one of the descriptors of Satan in the Bible in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, is the accuser of the brethren. And basically what that means is his job is to lie and accuse us that we really don't love God, to slander our name in heaven. And so what he does is sometimes he makes you feel like you're never pardoned. You ever have a good day and everything's going well and you get in your car and about that time the devil gets in the passenger seat with you? You don't love God, you don't serve him, you don't do all those things you should do. And so there are times, even when a person is saved, we don't always feel saved. And guess what? This truth reminds us, guess what? It doesn't matter how you feel, it is a declared fact from Jesus Christ that you are dead to law in all of its penalty. And so we live out of the truth, not what we feel is true, not what we're afraid is true, but out of what Christ has, in fact, declared is true. It is a historical, redemptive fact. I have been crucified with Christ. Second truth in this one verse is this. It is a statement of present, redemptive reality. What does he say? The next phrase, he said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so what does that mean? When I died to Christ in the law, guess what? I've been freed from sin's penalty, separation from God and death in hell. But what he's saying here is that when Christ lives in me, I've also been set free from sin's power over my present life. Being crucified with Christ brings us pardon, but Christ living in us brings us power. And so how does that work? When I yield myself to him, when I submit myself to the word of God, when our thoughts become dominated by the truth of scripture, it quickens the Holy Spirit of God and empowers us to do what we could not do and would not do left to our sinful selves. Second Corinthians chapter 10 says this, for though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have Divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, what is a stronghold? A stronghold is something that's set up in your thought life. And so he says the power of God living in us can bring down all those thoughts. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so the power that now animates, motivates, and propels you in your spiritual life is not you, but Christ in you. Do you know why that's good news? Because I know me too well. I know how spiritually inconsistent I can be. I know how spiritually flaky I can be. And I've met some of you as well, and it ain't much better. Amen? But here's the good news. It's no longer me and my self-efforts and my willpower and my strength and my wisdom. Guess what? It's now Christ in me, motivating me to do what I would not do left to myself and empowering me to do what I could not do left to myself. The good news is this, once Christ is in us, Galatians 2.20 says, 
Listen, this is good news. You are never left to the limited resources of yourself. Isn't that good? You're not limited by your own wisdom, your own strength, and your own righteousness. Why? Because it's no longer you who live, but Christ in you. It's a statement of present redemptive reality, which is followed by a life-shaping result. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he goes on to say this. The life I now live in the flesh, in other words, the, the real life that I'm living here in this earthly body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so what does that mean? It means I'm just living, I'm just not agreeing with these truths and saying amen. I'm actually living out of them by faith. And, and sometimes they don't feel true. And sometimes I'm not sure how they're going to play out true. But by faith, I'm going to live out of these truths and trust God for a righteous outcome. Trust God to do in me what I could not do left to myself. He said, I live by faith in the Son of God. And so he says, I've been blessed with resources beyond my imagination. Because here's what I know. Listen to this. Christ is with me. He is in me. And... He is for me. And he said, I cannot allow myself to think that I'm poor when I've been made spiritually rich. I cannot uh, allow myself to think that I'm unable because he empowers me. Habakkuk chapter 3 says this. Though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock cut off from the fold, and there is no herd in the stalls. So in other words, here's what he's saying. Let me sum this up. This is the Cunningham paraphrase. Very popular version, all right? Even though life seems hopeless. That's what all that means. Right? Yet, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places, listen to this, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What's he saying? Because of what Christ has done for me, I can by faith lay hold of all the promises and resources that he's put inside of me. And how is all of that possible? All those incredible truths because of his sacrificial life and death on our behalf. And so meditate on those truths as we come to the Lord's table this morning. And remind yourself, hey, this is not just juice and crackers and something I've done some of you hundreds of times, right? Meditate on those truths that because of what those elements will represent, all that's available to us in the person and work, past, present, and future of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so may we worship around the table this morning with those truths in our hearts.